It's not time change Sunday, but I'm probably more tired this Sunday than I was last. Um, if you are anything like me, this is one time you really enjoy. Uh, I love this thing called basketball, and uh, I don't think I've gone to bed in the same day that I've gotten up since Monday. Um, anybody else watching basketball? Too much, too much basketball, right, right, okay, good, good. I'm not the only one then. That's, that's a good a good thing. Uh, so excited to, to see you all here this morning. We know it's, it's spring break, and so I'm sure we've got some people watching online on their various vacations. Congratulations. We're so glad you got to go. Um, yay, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, we're really excited for you. Uh, we really are. Uh, and thank you for joining us this morning online. And the rest of us, hey, it's supposed to be okay this week here, right? Not super cold, a little rainy at spring. It's supposed to happen. It's all right. Hopefully you can enjoy nothing else, just the time together as a family. If you've got kids at home this week from school, man, what a blessing to just get to spend that time with them, right? So here we go. Before the Easter series starts here in two weeks, two weeks from today, the Easter series will start. We're going to get to dive into just a, a, today one of Jesus' favorite ways one of his favorite ways to teach us. It's the art of storytelling. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, that, that Jesus absolutely is an artist of many different stripes. There's a lot of ways that you could see our God as an artist. Now, the most obvious one is to take a look around at creation. If you have any kind of appreciation for this world and this incredible place and universe even that, that God has designed and created, it is magnificent. And the reality that there's nothing that has been created that he did not have a hand in creating himself, that being Jesus, John 1, 3, from the flowers to the mountains to the oceans to every sunrise and every sunset, the fingerprint of our Jesus is over every single one of those things. But there's more. There's more than just that. If you've never thought of it, there's an incredible piece of art that exists that is called uh, you. If you've never thought about this reality before, if you've never thought of yourself, your being, as a piece of art, as a work of art, as a handcrafted piece of art, from this moment on, please do, because you are. You are one of a kind. At this point in history, right now, you're a, a one, of about one, or one out of about 7.7 .7 billion kinds that existed. And that's not, of course, everyone that's already existed. That's just in this moment of time. There is no one on this earth like you. Even if you're an identical twin, there's still no one on this earth that's exactly like you. God intentionally created you on purpose and for a purpose. You are his work of art. You are his masterpiece, and he loves you. Don't ever forget that. And he longs for you to love him in return. Another piece of art that Jesus was a part of was live action. It was the greatest tragedy ever known to man as Jesus laid down his very own perfect life in order to redeem or to buy us back, buy our lives, our imperfect, our sin-filled lives back. He lived out that piece of art. Sometimes around this time of year, we call it his passion now, the meaning of that word in that context is his suffering that he lived out for each and every one of us. But the one we're going to talk about today is, is another art that Jesus is quite good at, and that is the narrative art, the art of story 
telling. He had the ability to seize the moment and grab the attention of everybody that was listening. He would share usually a very, very simple story that taught an incredibly valuable moral or, or spiritual lesson. And the story would always use a real-world element of some kind that his crowd, his audience, would, would usually be familiar with. Now, the potential was always there for everyone who was listening to hear and understand. But did they? Well, no. It was just potential. Did everyone hear and understand? No. Did everyone who actually understood actually put his words into action? Well, no, of course not. And it's no different today. Strangely enough, people have the same reaction to Jesus' parables today. Even though they were taught over 2,000 years ago, virtually everyone today has the potential to fully understand them. Even though times have changed, many of his stories really don't need much explaining even to this day. It's crazy. As if Jesus was able to use timeless illustrations, as if maybe he has always, is always, and will always exist in all of time, so he could use things that we could understand even today. It's amazing how one could relate to civilization in AD 33 as well as he could relate to 2022. It's an incredible characteristic. But the reality is people today are no different than they were in Jesus' time. Um, some people, as Jesus would say, have ears to hear. Some would say they have hearts to act while others refuse to listen. Still others hear and then know, but they refuse to act. They won't put Jesus' teachings into practice. Humans, however, can change. They can change. As a matter of fact, they can change right this very moment. The Spirit of God can envelop anyone at any time and can change them, their course of their destiny for eternity in a moment's notice. So don't ever say that someone can never change. You can't change them. I can't change them. They can't change them. But God can. The gospel we're studying right now is the gospel of Luke. And in Luke is contained more parables than Matthew, Mark, or John. He told more of these stories than anyone else. Why? Well, throughout this story series, I'm going to continually remind you of this purpose that Luke had in writing. It comes from the very beginning of Luke, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He said this, With this in mind, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? Why? So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. You see, there is power in story, and you know that deep down inside. You know that's true. You felt that. If you're a book reader, then you know there is power in story. You picked up that one book that one night and started reading, and then you couldn't stop because there's power in a good story. You have seen a movie that just sucked you in as if you were part of the plot and you were moved emotionally and all kinds of other ways watching that movie. You've been to a play and you've seen things and it's just grabbed a hold of you and it drew you in. Luke believes the power that this, of the stories that Jesus shared are enough to change your eternity. So he shared more of them than anyone else. This week we're going to share two very short parables. One will take most of our time, the other will just take the very last little bit. We're coming to Luke chapter 8 today. Luke chapter 8 is where we'll be here in just a moment before we start the Easter series. So here you go. As you listen, please listen with ears to hear. 
Now keep in mind, every single one of us will be subjected to the vibration of our eardrums as the result of these speakers magnifying my voice. You have no choice but to hear something, but will we listen? Will we hear these words of Jesus and allow them to penetrate deep into our minds and in our souls and allow them to change us? Will we allow the words, in this case the stories of Jesus, to compel us into action? Will we commit them to our minds and share them with those that we know? Or will we walk away forgetting the source and the power that is available to us through each and every one of these stories? Let's pray to start with. Father God, as we dive into your word today, may it penetrate As you say in your word, it's bold enough, it's sharp enough to penetrate deep into our our bodies so much to to separate the marrow from the bone. I mean, it, it can do that if we allow it. You will not force that upon us. We have to open ourselves up to this. And so if we didn't come in here this morning with our minds and our hearts right before you and your spirit, may they get right now and be open to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 1, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women, some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Johanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. What? Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, this opening text is definitely one that a lot of people would just skip right through. There's some more names, eh, not really a big deal. Let's get on to the story. Let's get on to the meat of the passage. And I can understand why some people might do that. But as you know, if you know me, I'm not some people, so I won't allow you to do that. It's too important. There's a really important answer to a really important question that a lot of people have about the ministry of Jesus. How did this man and 12 of his closest followers and some others wander around for three years with no jobs, no income, no sources to, to get things from. How did this all happen? Well, in the opening, Luke tells us first Jesus' strategy. He just moves from town to town, village to village, preaching and teaching and healing. And then, and then he reveals something from behind the scenes. He tells us there were many women. He lists three by name who supported this ministry out of their own means. Now, in saying this, Luke is revealing a reality that Jesus is kind of destroying the uh, public perception of women in his day. That customary cultural role of the provider, the women are the ones providing in this ministry. They are helping to finance this ministry. They were essential to the work of spreading the gospel from the very, very beginning. And Luke mentions three names. The first one, Susanna. Unfortunately, this is it. We don't really know anything else about her. You can look and find things, but it's all speculation. We really don't know anything else about her. But we, what is revealed about Mary and Johanna, we definitely know, and it's super powerful. Mary, of course, Mary Magdalene, the one who'd been freed from the possession of multiple demons. Her story is just beginning 
at this point in Luke. We'll find her in all four Gospels. We'll find her all over the place with Jesus as he travels. And she plays a very, very, very important role on resurrection morning as she is the one that Jesus chooses to reveal himself to very first. There's something special about Mary, huh? And then there's that other one, Johanna. Who was she? Well, we don't know exactly what she was healed from, likely a disease of, of some kind, but we don't know. It doesn't tell us that. What about her, though? She was the wife of the manager of Herod's household. Now, if you dig into her name, you might find all kinds of theories about exactly how that happened. But we're talking about Herod. We're talking about the same Herod that just beheaded John the Baptist just a chapter earlier. Okay, same guy. In other words, Jesus' ministry has reached all the way into the palace of Herod. And it's pulling people away from that atmosphere. We don't know if her husband was still living. So it was his finances that were supporting the ministry of Jesus. Think of the irony there. Incredible. He's working for Herod, who's trying to get rid of Jesus, who is paying to help Jesus do the thing amazing. It's incredible. The upper parts of society. This woman was now paired up with a formerly demon-possessed woman, a whole bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, and a bunch of nobodies that really didn't have anything at all whatsoever in common. And she, too, was in it for the long haul. Her name is listed along with Mary and the mother of Jesus as she was one of the ones who went to the grave on that Sunday morning. The mention of these women together with this group of guys shows us exactly what the ministry of Jesus looked like in his day. And for the record, it shows us exactly what the ministry of Jesus should look like in our day as well. We should be a gathering that looks just like that group of people. Two seemingly unconnected, unrelated people with nothing in common, actually people that probably should have found themselves in opposition with one another, all united around the only thing that mattered, Jesus. What a theme. Now, here's the hard part. As you hear this story today, it's probably a familiar one to many of you, and some of you get that email on Monday, so you know the text for the week, and so you hopefully have been looking at that and studying that. I want you to listen to the story as if you've never heard it before. Evaluate in your own mind, from your own perspective, what Jesus is saying. And if you're able, forget about the ending where Jesus explains it. Just, just try to forget what the meaning Jesus tells us is and just listen for yourself and what do you feel? What do you hear in the words that Jesus is saying? Just hear it for what it appears to be on the surface. A farmer scattering some seed. Verse 4, while a large crowd was gathered and the people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, hmm, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. Now, as Jesus would have shared this information out with people, he would have paused and allowed people to think about each of those instances for a moment. He closes by saying, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, it's an interesting story. Seeming out of nowhere, Jesus just whips this one out and throws it out there for people to just ponder and think about. My guess is they probably would have been near some kind of field, some kind of something that would have drawn people's attention into a story like this. Virtually everyone listening to Jesus on that day would have been a farmer on some level. 
maybe not a big-time farmer, but they would have at least grown a few things for their own household. It only would have made sense in that society. So as Jesus told this story, the people listening would have been evaluating from their own personal farmer experience in life. Let's start with this. What on earth is that farmer doing? It makes no sense. Why would he throw good seed onto a path that's dumb? It would have no chance of growing there, Jesus. What is this story all about? Why the waste? What kind of farmer is this? That's what they're thinking now as Jesus pauses between people. Then he moves on to the next layer. Rocks? Rocks? What? Who, who taught this farmer how to farm? What is he doing? They have no clue. I'd love to get a hold of him and show, you know what, just give me the seed. I'll throw it out for you, farmer. We'll show you how to actually make things happen. We don't want this seed to go away. These are precious resources. They could have been used in a better way. Who knows how many people could have been fed if this farmer had his act together, right? So then Jesus goes on to the thorns. And they're like, are you serious? This guy, that's enough. Take his seeds away, Jesus. Like, what is, get rid of that guy in the story. It doesn't make any sense. Why is he doing all of these things? And then Jesus makes it worse because he tells him, well, actually, some of it got on good soil. Wait, what? So he knows where it's supposed to go, but he threw it all these other places as well. What was he thinking? Why didn't he put it all in the same spot to get the most possible return? Why did he allow the seed to be spread in all these other places? It's a great question. He had to know those other Seeds would all fail, right? Did you ask any of those questions as you heard Jesus' story? Because the people that were listening would have. What is wrong with this guy? Why is he messing this thing up? Why did Jesus do that? He was able to grab their attention. He got a hold of them emotionally because they're like, he's a fool. Why? Give me the seed. I'll take it. I'll show him how to farm. We'll produce all kinds of crop. He mentally engaged them in the story because they understood the idea. He emotionally engaged them because of the absurdity of the story that he was sharing. Now he's got them. Now he's got them because they got to find out what this story really meant. So in verse 9, the disciples asked him, what do you mean? Verse 10, Jesus said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 9, when he says that. In verse 11, Jesus goes on to explain the parable. This is the meaning. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. They hear it, but they, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in, the t- in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns is for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Now, church, there's a lot of ways to interpret this parable, and we're going to talk just about a few of them today. It might be just a very, very, very appropriate parable for those of us in the church today. Those outside of Christ, they could still totally hear this parable today and not understand, just as Jesus described Those outside of Christ could hear it, not understand. It's no different than when Jesus spoke the words himself. 
But church, if he's speaking to us, then there's some different ways that we can understand this parable. The story can be for you and for me. It's for those of us who have gathered together today, whether in person or joining us online from your exotic vacation destination. I'm not jealous. It's okay. It is for those of us who spend time in God's Word, reading the Word of God and listening to additional teachings, studying on our own the words of Jesus. This is still our seed. And if we occasionally just casually listen, say on a Sunday morning, and that's it, then it's likely by the time we go and we start our car after service, when it's time to leave, it's probable that Satan has already helped us forget the word that was spoken, forgot every song that was sung and every prayer that was prayed. You might even have a hard time remembering, did I even grab communion on the way in today? Did I take that? I don't, I don't remember. And I want you to consider, if that's happened to you, then I want you to realize it's kind of disturbing, but what really happened? <laughs> did you realize that Satan has that much control over you and your life and your mind? Because that's what Jesus just said it happened. Does that frighten you just a little bit? Does it bother you just a little bit? That literally Satan is taking away the word of God from your mind. He's not allowing it to settle. He's not allowing it to get deep within you. By the time you're to the car, if you've forgotten it, he's won, we lose. Church, we got to fight harder. We got to give it a little more effort than that because once we start fighting and we start remembering and we start applying these teachings of Jesus, then, then we as the body of Christ can start watching out for that second group that Jesus is talking about. Because I believe this parable can also be seen as a warning as well, not just a reality, but a warning of how these things play out. We all know someone in that second group of people. As a matter of fact, some of us have been that someone in the second group of people. We have had an encounter with God, and it was genuine. It was not fake. It was not fictitious. It was a real, genuine encounter. And that person, for a moment, is on fire for God. But they never make it past that initial phase of faith. They never allow the Word of God to sink deeply within them. They never allow the relationship with Jesus to grow. It was just an immediate knowledge and recognition of who Jesus is, but then no more of a relationship beyond that. No roots grow, no nourishment to help keep them growing in their faith so it dies off very quickly. Sometimes it dies off literally as fast as it sprang up. Do you know people like this? Maybe you went through a phase like this in your own spiritual walk. Here's the thing. As a church family, this second group of people are a group of people we need to watch real closely out for because I believe it is part of our responsibility to keep a hold of those people in our life. These are new believers. These are infants in the faith. They need fed. They need living examples of what it looks like to live out their faith, what it looks like to grow. They need a spiritual mentor to come alongside them and help them on this journey. We got to be a part of those people's lives. We got to help lead them through the tests that will inevitably come their way. We have to encourage them to keep being a part of the family of God, even when it's hard. Now, yes, those of you mature believers in the room, yes, there is a point in time where as an individual, we should take more responsibility for our faith. Yes, true, true, true. But we should always be watching out for each other. 
watching us in good times and in bad and not letting people drift away. Did you know you played a role in this parable of the soils, as it's called in another gospel? We have a responsibility to those new believers and to our God to help them keep the faith. Now, the third example is even more extreme. There's two ways to look at that third example. One way to look at it is it could be those people that came to know God, came to know Jesus in the most extreme situations. Maybe they came to Christ while in prison. Maybe they came to, came to Christ while struggling with an addiction. Maybe they came to Christ while going through a very, very difficult phase of their life. And somehow, some way, God was able to penetrate into that environment, get in there, plant the seed, and through the miracle of the Spirit, that seed grew in their lives. But thorns immediately rushed in to just choke it all out. That new faith began to die right away. Now, sometimes we might call those thorns um, life because life happens. It could have been the old ways of life that they fell back into. Maybe it wasn't that severe. Maybe it's someone that had accepted Christ a good deal of time ago, but the worries of life have now distracted them from their first love of Jesus. It could be that the schedule of life that we choose to follow, keep that in mind, we choose to follow the schedule of our life. We are the ones that create that schedule, and that schedule sent us on a path away from our God. I read a great article quite a while ago. I saved it on my computer. The title of the article was this, Church Should Be the Excuse to Miss Everything Else, if it was a priority. If you're interested in that article, I'd be happy to email it to you. It's, PDF, it's a PDF, Chris, K-R-I-S, at bccbrazil.org, or just go to the website and email the office. I will forward you that article. It's very interesting, for sure. It comes from a person that didn't always think that way but has now seen that priority. Everything else is, is the reason, of course, we miss church now rather than church being the reason to miss everything else. Life can be hard. The last two years have kind of proved that, haven't they? There are those whose foundation was not firmly planted on the rock that we talked about last week. The storms have now hit <laughs> And their structure has been completely demolished, and quite honestly, they're floating at sea right now. So the question is, have we sent out the lifeboats for those people? How many helicopters, how much of the Coast Guard have we gone out to try to rescue those people and bring them back into safety? Who are those people in your life, your friends, your neighbors? They may not be from Berea. The church doesn't matter. The fact that they're not at their church, it's what matters. They've told you, oh, yeah, we're not back yet. Well, we're not going yet. Well, we're not. What are we doing to encourage them back in that direction? We need to do that. Who do you know that's gotten pulled away from Jesus by things like the promises of this world? Maybe their faith has been choked out or replaced literally by things like wealth or temporary pleasure or happiness or their profession. These are our family members. These are our friends. These are our co-workers and our neighbors. We are called to reach out to them and bring them back. God has not given up on them, and neither should we. 
Jesus uses that one last illustration with the farmer and his seeds. You see, uh, this parable can also represent the reality that even if we're doing everything we should, even if we're reaching out the way that we should, we're casting seed literally all over the place, only a small portion of that seed will grow into maturity. But the good seed, seed on good soil, stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Now, there's two ways that you could evaluate that. One's right and one's wrong. The second one is the right one, so let me give you the first one. Since only 25% of the seed that we sow is actually going to grow into maturity, according to Jesus' statistics here, then probably we should really just look for the best soil slash people to invest that seed in, right? Those that have a better chance of possibly coming to faith, for a better chance for that seed to grow in their life, right? No. No, absolutely, completely not right. Who are we to judge who might or might not accept the gospel of Jesus Christ? Instead, we should fully embrace the second option. That's this. Scatter as much seed as you possibly can wherever you possibly go with whoever you're possibly with so that maybe some of it will possibly grow. We just don't know. If the world is going to try to keep that seed from growing to maturity, we got to get out as much seed as we possibly, possibly can. There's a lot of ways to look at this parable. I want you not to miss one last way, and that's the personal application for your own personal life. Will you do some soil evaluation this morning? What is yours? The seed's already been planted in your life. As a matter of fact, if you're here today, even if this is the first time you've ever heard this much about Jesus, first and foremost, that He loves you. Second, that he offered his very own life up for yours so that you can be forgiven of all the sins, all the mistakes that you've made. You might not have realized that, yes, he gave his life up for you, but three days later he came back from the dead, conquering sin and death once and for all so that you could spend eternity with him. If today's the first time you've ever heard that reality, then that seed has now been planted in your life. Maybe for many of us, that seed was planted long ago. So the question is, well, how's it growing? How's that growing in your life? How is your soil doing? Has that precious plant been trampled lately (laughs) by some of the difficulties of life? Have you allowed a whole bunch of weeds and thorns to begin to grow in your soil, stealing the precious nutrients that you need to produce that abundant crop? If that's the case, then man, I'm glad you're here today because what I want you to do is consider today to be a big old dose of Roundup on all of those weeds all around you, kill them, destroy them, separate yourself from them, cast off those things that are binding and hindering you Do you long to be a person of noble and good heart, retaining the word of God and putting it into action? Because that's who we must be. The final short story from today is, again, it's a very familiar story to a lot of people. It was another kid's song, much like last week, but it is very, very profound. Verse 16 is where we're at. No one lights a lamp and hides it under a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be made known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. And Jesus, once again, makes a really brutally obvious 
statement that anyone could understand. It would not be smart to light a lamp and then hide it. What's the point, right? Everyone looking at Jesus, hearing the story, going, why would you do that? It wouldn't be a good thing. Not only could no one see the light, because it would be hidden, but the the light itself would actually go out. Why would you light something just to put it right back out? It doesn't make any sense. And for those of you listening, like, I still never understood to put it under a bed part. Okay, under a bed in his time was very different than under a bed in our time. You put a candle under a bed in our time, it lights a bed on fire, house burns down. (laughs) That's not what Jesus is suggesting. Their beds were on the floor. They were mats. They would have been rolled up. You put it under that rolled up mat, guess what? It goes out. He's not talking about lighting a house on fire and burning it down. So just keep that in mind, okay? You've got to place this light in a situation in the room somewhere where it illuminates as much as possible so that anyone entering the room can see. Jesus, the light of the world, has now come to reveal things that had been previously concealed. What was hidden in the darkness is now being fully exposed. Jesus knows that some who hears these teachings will not be changed. So he tells his disciples very specifically in the middle, and you might not have even caught it, hey, I know you're listening, but I need you to be very carefully listening to what I'm saying because this applies directly to you. What I'm telling you, you cannot keep a secret. You have to share it. There are no options. Believers, if you've accepted Jesus Christ and you put him as your Lord and Savior, you put your faith and trust in him, we have to let our light shine. There's no other choice. His light will draw people to himself through each of us. And Jesus tells us that when we do that, then he will just continue to give and give and give more opportunities to us. We're not talking about financial gains here. We're talking about opportunities to reach people for Christ. However, if we put that light under a jar, then even our light will go out. We have to hear and do, act it out, live it out. We do not want these things to be saved. This is not, this is, this is not, this is not a, a thing that we do in order to be saved. Okay, these are not works-based salvation ideas. These aren't good deeds that somehow save us, not at all. These are simply living out the teachings and sharing them with others as the evidence of our faith. This is what Christ's love compels us to do for others like we talked about last week. Resurrection Sunday, some of you call it Easter, is four Sundays from today. Church, it's time. A lot of different people to reach out to from that parable today. It is time to reach out to those and start casting some seed and let the light of Jesus shine through you now. Father God, as we consider what this means to each of us, I pray that we look deeply within, and Father, maybe we need to start at the end. And if we need that roundup in our life right now, our faith is being strangled by all the things around us, our schedules that we've created. We might look at it and say we're not to blame, but we're the ones that signed up for this thing, our kids up for that thing, or whatever it is. We we are the ones that made those commitments that have pulled us away from you. Father, maybe it's just the worry of life. Maybe it's the economy. Maybe it's politics. Who knows? I don't know what it is that's got into our soil, but it's corrupted it in a way that it's pulling us from our faith in you. And so let today be a day of cleansing for that soil. Father, we need to get in and have you pull out those weeds, destroy all of those things that are keeping us from changing and becoming who you would have us to be. 
Father, maybe we're at a phase where we're feeling okay in that area, but we're looking around and we see people around us that have stumbled, that have fallen, that we've seen this last two years just choke the faith right out of them. They, they seem to be so sad, so lonely, so depressed even. Father, we need to lead them back to you where they can find that hope and that joy that exists only within your spirit in their life. Father, maybe there's people we know and, and we don't know if that seed's ever even been planted. We don't know if they've ever heard the gospel of Christ. Maybe watching their life, they seem like a good person, but we just, we just don't know. Father, give us the strength and courage this week to, to plant that seed. There's no harm that could be done there. If they already know you and have a relationship with you, then they'll gladly share that. But my guess is if, if you're prompting us in those areas that that seed has never been genuinely planted in that person's life, and you're asking us to be the ones. Father, let's not forget those that uh, don't seem to be good soil. Father, as we look around this world around us, we interact with people every day that are like, oh man, oh man, I just don't know about that person. That's the first person we should pray for. And then immediately following that prayer, we should share them just a little bit of your love and kindness and plant that seed in what looks like maybe some rocky soil. Maybe it looks like a path where that seed is just going to be eaten along the way. But Father, we are not the ones to judge. Our job is to just share your word with whoever we come in contact with. May we do that in this season and forever as we seek to grow your kingdom, to seek and save the lost. Father, we love you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.